The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, I hope you have, and, and, and even if you haven't, we've been in the book of First John, all right? This is John's first letter right here, and in this, uh, in this letter, we see one theme going through uh, the entire letter, and that's what we're focusing on, and that theme is confidence and joy. And as we've talked about, about First John, every week, no matter what the, the main topic was, no matter what passage we selected from this letter, uh, we have seen confidence and joy. The Lord Jesus using the words of John here to bring us confidence in him and joy in him. And we're, that's going to be no different for us this morning. We're looking at 1 John chapter 2, go to verse 15. We're looking at verse 15 through 17. Go ahead and turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. There might be a, a Bible under your chair. If you don't have one, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you. You can use your smartphone or whatever. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Now, I'll tell you what, as I looked, uh, as I looked forward to this uh, to, to, to this little passage that I knew we'd be in, these little section of verses. Uh, man, I, I, I just, I, I've heard people preach this a lot. I, I've heard this topic a lot. And, and so I was like, man, all right, well, let's just go with this. And man, the, the more I got into it, the more I looked into it, it was surprising, the things that the Lord had me come face to face with. And so as we have every week, the Lord has given us some further confidence and deeper joy in him through his word. And, and this morning, I trust he'll do the same for us. Let's go ahead and read along here in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's start there in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. What does it mean to, to love the world? He isn't saying don't love people and he isn't saying don't love, uh, don't take care of, our, of the creation God's given us. Instead he's saying don't love the world system that is, uh, that is at odds with the Father. Again, the context here reveals he's not talking about people. John 3.16, he's talking about people. That's not the context here. The context here reveals to us he's talking about a world system uh, don't love that more than you love the Father. And how do we love a world system? Well, we find our answer when we look at the love of the world versus the love of the Father. How do we love the Father? Well, what's the main way we love the Father? Well, John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So how do we love the Father? Obedience, right? It, it communicates to him that I trust you. I prefer you. I want to do things your way. You're in the number one spot of my life. I'm going to obey you because I love you. In the same way, how do we love this world system? We love it through obedience. I trust the world. I want to take something. I want to make something happy besides God. I do things the world, the world's way. I prefer this way. So when it says don't love the world, it's saying don't be obedient to the world's way of doing things over obedience to God. That's how we love the world. Then it goes on in verse 16 to show us three common avenues that the enemy uses in our world to distract us and to have us walk down rather than continually pursuing Jesus. And you say, well, you know what? Then our enemy is not a master tactician, right? Because if, if his, his strategy is right here and we know it and it's plain as day, then he would change it, right? Well, he doesn't have to. 
because it works. Like, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Anybody play uh, Nintendo NES? I mean, like the original Nintendo in the 80s. Anybody? Excellent. You're all going to heaven. Uh, in, in that, there was a game called Tecmo Bowl. Anybody Tecmo Bowl football game? There was one play in 1989, this game came out called Tecmo Bowl, and it was a football game. And I thought, I remember seeing it and playing it and thinking, this is the future. It's so realistic. But anyway, like you're this little pixelated man, there was one guy that when my friends and I played it, there was one guy we could not play as. There was a rule. You couldn't use this one player. Anybody know who it is? Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson for the Oakland Raiders. There's something about him in the game made him unstoppable. You could tell your friend, I'm going, listen to me. I'm just going to go ahead and shuttle pass it over to Bo Jackson. Then I'm going to run it in for a touchdown. And there's nothing they could do. Bo Jackson was untouchable. If you go to YouTube, look up Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl 300-yard touchdown. And what you'll see is a guy shuttle pass it on the goal line, run down the field, back up the field, and then back down the field and score a touchdown. It was unfair. You couldn't use him. So you know what? I knew their strategy. If they had Bo Jackson, I know exactly where the ball is going. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I couldn't stop him. It's a lot like me on the basketball court. You know I got the ball. You can't stop me, all right? I'm just that good. And in the same way, like the enemy doesn't have to switch. These three avenues, like they work. We walk down them all the time. And what are they? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. And the, he's used these three against humanity from the beginning of time. And until ultimately he's cast out and, and into further darkness by the, by the Lord Jesus, he will use them all over again. In verse 16, we, we see it right there. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of the life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Well, what's wrong with having a desire? What's wrong with that? I mean, because God gave you a stomach. God gave you a sex drive. God created incredible things that we would desire. God supplies us with opportunities. And you have desires for all of these things. What's wrong with desire? Nothing's wrong with desire. The problem is, the real issue here is not the desire. The real issue is idolatry. The real issue is loving the world more than God. Obeying the world over God. Putting something other than God in that number one spot. Something of the flesh. Something that you see. Something yourself. The pride of life. Putting something else in that number one spot. Chasing after something in the world harder than I'm chasing after God. That's the issue. Going after the desire of the flesh. Again, having the desire isn't necessarily the issue. The issue is chasing that desire over chasing after God. And I'll tell you something about idolatry. I'll tell you something about after chasing after something. If you chase something long enough, you'll catch it. Just plain and simple. You chase something long enough, you'll catch it. Like case in point, I chased Angela. She ran as far as she could, as long as she could. I got her, right? But if you chase something, if you serve, like if you serve an idol, if you're pursuing that idol, guess what? You'll get it. And here's the reality. If you, whatever your idol is, whatever you're serving, whatever's in that number one spot, you will have it. But you won't have what's not in that number one spot. So here's what that means. If God is not in your number one spot, then you will have whatever is, but you won't have him. Like all of a sudden, this just got real, right? Like this just got really serious. I want him, okay? I don't, I don't want something else. I, I want a lot of things, but I want him. And I, I don't want this if I can't have him. But that's what idolatry is. Whatever you're chasing, you'll catch it. But if it's not God, you won't have him. But here's the good news. If it is, if he's in your number one spot, if he's calling the shots, if he dictates how you see yourself and view the world, and, and if he dictates how your obedience in your life, you will have him. 
That is good, good news for us. But let's look at these three categories because I think it's, it's helpful for us to know what, what so often captures our attention. It's helpful for us to know what so often threatens to steal that, to take that number one spot in our life, steal our devotion away. So the first one, desires of the flesh, desires of the flesh. I'm going to call these internal cravings, right? Internal cravings. And let me give you some examples, like a, a really simple example, your stomach. Who's going out to eat today? Who's going to go to a restaurant today, right after church? Who's going? Come on, come on, hands up. It's really hurtful. I haven't been invited by any of you. There's a lot of you out there. You would think the odds are there's only one of me. I don't eat that much, but uh, moving on. All right, but uh, so you're going out to eat today. How many of you have already, you know where you're going? You've already talked about it. You're, you're thinking about it like before I mentioned it, you were thinking about it. Like I, when you looked at me, you're just like hot butter rolls. Like that's it. Like that's what's going through your head. You're ready. You're already there. Like that's a good thing. It's a good thing to desire food, isn't it? It's a good thing to, to be hungry and to desire to be filled. The absence of that is bad, right? Anybody ever been so sick or been so upset that you didn't have an appetite? It wasn't good. It's not good for you, right? Because you, your body doesn't have the nutrients and, 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 and it hurts you. You need to fulfill that desire. And food is good. And I think God, I think it makes God happy for us to enjoy food, right? Think about it. Think about all the good food God created. He created fruit. I love, I love strawberries and bananas and all of that. He created vegetables, which weren't so good, but then he gave us deep frying them. And that is good. And, and like, and think about like, think about the animals, right? Like, like bacon. It's just a beautiful, little pigs just like running around with like the most incredible thing just growing on them and it's wonderful you know it's like after the flood God said what every moving thing that lives especially bacon shall be food for you and as I give you the green plants I give you everything and I think when we sit down with a meal together and 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 we just and we have grateful hearts before the Lord I think that makes him happy I think that that can honor him However, that being said, this internal craving is one that can easily be a distraction for us and easily pull our affection, our devotion away from the Lord Jesus. I mean, I'm serious about that. I mean, think about it. We, like, how how many of us, we look... We look for, to food for our comfort or even our distraction in a time of difficulty rather than running to God. And, and, and you know, like, I, I know, I know when I said that, like, your first thought is you, you, you picture a, a, a crying, like, little woman sitting in front of a TV watching The Notebook with a big old, like, bucket of ice cream. I get the stereotype. Like, I get that. But, but it's not a joke. Like, that's, we all do that. We all have a tendency to run to food. To, to comfort us rather than run to our God. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like I, I have a love-hate relationship with Burger King. Like I love it and it hates me. It absolutely hates me. Like the, the customer service isn't so great. Forget that. Like the food just, it doesn't want to be inside of my body. All right. Like I'll just tell you that, but I love it. It doesn't make me feel good. Like it ruins my day when I eat Burger King, but I do it. I love it. Like I'll tell you there are times where I'm upset about something or I'm just, I don't want to deal with something and I will just drive through Burger King. And like, it, those are the times where I feel like I should wear like a trench coat, and like a hat, like pull down low, like yeah, give me three whoppers. But like, I'll get a Burger King. I'll go sit in a parking lot and not think about anything else and just stuff my face. And as stupid as that is, and as funny as that might seem, sometimes we do that. We stuff our faces instead of falling on our face before our loving father. And it's true. We can do that. Like we, it, the fulfillment of our stomach can overpower our devotion to our Lord. I mean, think about it. We disregard our physical health for it. 
You know, I, what I want to talk about is, is something we call overeating, but the Bible calls it gluttony. And we talk all day in church about don't smoke, right? If you're in a Baptist church, don't drink, at least not when other people from our church are around you, right? Like don't, <laughs> don't do those things. But we don't touch overeating. We joke about it. We just joke about overeating. It's no big deal. Like it's just, it is what it is, but it's not a joke. Proverbs 20, 23, 20 through 21 says, don't join those who drink too much wine. We're like, yeah, I'm on that one. Or gorge themselves on meat. Now hold up. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Proverbs 28, 7 declares, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. We're stewards of our body. Your body, you've heard this a thousand times, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It's not yours. It's not yours. And how we take care of it, and it really shows like, like as we take care of ourselves, we're an instrument for the Lord to use. How, how good of an instrument are you handing him? How many of our brothers and sisters stand before the Lord and say, I, I, I wish I could have served you better, but I didn't take care of my body, and so I couldn't keep up. I couldn't go serve because I, I just didn't take care of what you gave me. How many of our brothers and sisters, listen to this. This is a tragedy that I think happens all the time. How many of our brothers and sisters go home early? They go home before they have to because they didn't take care of their bodies. We have to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I know you probably had so many other joys for me. You probably had so many other opportunities for me to, to reap eternal reward and do great things for you. But I loved hamburgers too much and I had a heart attack. I loved my food so much that I had diabetes. That doesn't honor the Lord. And we're commanded to practice self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit of God, is to, is to practice self-control. And isn't it loving to say to the Father, I will abstain from this thing I love so much. I will fulfill this internal craving I have in a way that honors you rather than the way I necessarily want to because I want to be the most effective I can for you. Isn't that a loving thing? Like a friend of mine is a father and he's overweight and we were talking about a diet he was going on. And I was like, man, that is crazy. I don't like, I don't want to diet. I love my family, but I don't want to diet. Like that is just, that, I, that was got to be really difficult. And he says, you know what? I don't want to diet either, but, but I love my family and I want to be able to play with my kids and, and I want to be there for a long, long time. And I want to take care of my wife and I don't want to put the burden of my health on them. Isn't that loving? Isn't that so loving to do that? In the same way, we love the Lord Jesus when we say, I want to take care of my body. I don't want it to be a burden that's going to keep me from being effective for you. I don't, I, Lord, I don't want it to, to cut my life short and to, to pull me out of doing your work. I want to, Lord, I want to bless you with how I fulfill this internal craving. Serious. Like, think about it. We disregard, uh, we not only disregard our health for it, but we disregard our spiritual health for it. Like, have you, do you fast? Is that a regular discipline in your life? Jesus, like, pretty much assumed it would be in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, we should be fasting. You know, Jesus modeled it for us, and, and fasting is used for humility and, and for God's intervention and to bolster our prayers and for repentance. I mean, those are all things that we absolutely need, but, but do we fast? I, I think that's, a, that's a, a discipline that I shy away from because I'm used to being fed. I'm used to fulfilling this internal craving however I want to, and fasting doesn't fit into that, Right? Like, like that's, uh, and I think we're missing so much more than just missing meals. We're missing so much more than what God has for us when we don't fast. You might say, this is crazy. God really cares about my diet. Absolutely. You are not 
your own. You can, you can honor the Lord with everything that you are, and that means you can dishonor the Lord with everything that you are. This Christian life is a serious business. We can't just say, Lord, I'll give you my time, or I'll give you my money, or I'll give you this, but you can't touch my diet, and you can't touch exercise and all that. You can't put that on me. Yes, he can. We are not our own. He bought me with his blood. I'm completely his. So yes, God cares about your diet. And God cares that you submit the fulfillment of, your, of, of, the, of the desires of your stomach to him. Because he's the Lord of everything, even your stomach. Thinking about internal cravings, it also talks about the desires for sex. And this is a good desire. This is a God-given, biologically designed desire for you. But oftentimes, we seek to fulfill it in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. And it carries great consequences for us. Like, like what comes to mind is lust. You know, looking at people or, uh, or in real life or maybe looking at pornography. And, and, and the Lord Jesus tells us, don't do this. Lusting, if you've lusted after someone and you've committed adultery in your heart, this is not pleasing to me. This is not healthy for you. It's not good for you. It reduces them to an object. It doesn't allow you to treat them with all purity, which is another command of our Lord. And and so how many times have we had this craving and we just say, it's just natural. I just, this is how I want to fulfill it. And that's just how people fulfill it. But that's not us anymore. Our internal cravings, we submit to our master. He's our master. Everything in us is his and we will honor him in the way that he wants us to honor him. So I say, Lord, I have this internal craving for sex, but God, I'm going to look at your word and your word says that I have to treat each other, I have to treat everybody with purity and the only sexual expression that honors you is within the confines of heterosexual marriage. So Lord, outside of that, I will abstain because you're my master and I want to honor you. And again, this desire isn't necessarily a bad desire. However, following this desire instead of submitting it to the Lord Jesus and ignoring God's wisdom, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And you'll not find your joy there. I promise you that. And you certainly won't find the Lord Jesus there. Or, or I'm talking about another internal craving, how about the desire for comfort? We want to feel good. So sometimes that leads some of us to self-medicate. Rather than dealing with some of the difficulties we deal with and trusting the Lord, some of us drink. Some of us turn to different substances. Some of us, and this is me, we, we turn to isolation and we turn to sleep. Anybody else? That's me. I want to be comfortable and I want to feel good and this is difficult and I don't like it. So I, I push everybody away and, and I just want to sleep and I just want to block out the world. Again, this is, this is fulfilling an internal craving in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. We want to stay comfortable. So sometimes I'll, I'll disregard obedience to what God wants me to do because I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to confront wrongdoing in my friend. I don't want to work on reconciling this relationship. I don't want to talk about Jesus in front of other people. I don't, I don't want to make sacrifices sacrifices or my time or my resources for your work. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. I got my plans in place. And again, we think that if I just feel comfortable, if I just fulfill this internal craving, then I'll have joy and contentment. But the joy of the Lord is not found in comfort. It's found in obedience to him. You know, it, it, think about all these ways of, of this, this internal cravings pulling us away from the pleasures of God 
This is how it's been from the beginning. Look at Eve in Genesis 3. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, therefore, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So she saw that the tree was good for food. She had an internal craving. I am hungry. I want that food. There's food galore in the garden for her. There's a way she can fulfill that desire that honors the Lord, but she doesn't want to. She wants to fulfill it in her way. And she trusted her way of fulfilling that craving rather than submitting it to the Lord. And she fell for it. And and she, she moved away from the Lord. And I do this all the time. I also fall for the second avenue, which is desires of the eyes. I call this external cravings. If, if desires of the flesh are internal cravings, I call this external cravings, things that we see and that we want. And again, seeing something and desiring something doesn't mean necessarily that that's a bad thing. However, it's idolatry when the desire of that pursuit supersedes our pursuit of God. Like, for example, probably the most obvious, money, or, or maybe things, you know, things that money can buy. You know, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money, that desire, that devotion to, that obedience to of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving, here we go, craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So again, they love it. They're focused on it. They're obedient to it. They're driven for it. It's caused them to wander away. Fulfilling this craving rather than submitting to the Lord mainly has caused them to walk away from the faith. And money's tricky. Like it can trick us probably more than anything else because in our culture, what does money equal? Independence. I can do what I want if I have enough money. Isn't that true? Like, that's basically true. I can get away with what I want to get away with and do what I want with enough money. Look at the richest people in our country, right? They get away with what they want to get away with. They do what they want to do because they have enough money. Like, what can't money buy you? Like, money can buy you a house. It can buy you food, buy you education. It can buy you friends, not good friends, but it can buy you friends. It can buy you companionship and arguably love. It can buy you medical care. It can buy you all kinds of luxury. What can't it buy you? What do you need if you have a ton of money? It can quickly pull your dependence from the Lord away. Proverbs 30, he says, you know what? Don't give me riches because if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? This is certainly an avenue we're susceptible to where where we, we trick ourselves into believing we don't need to be dependent on the Lord anymore. Maybe it's, maybe not only do you desire money or things, maybe it's people. And what I mean is relationships, which are wonderful that God created. He created us to be relational people. We all have the need to be loved, understood, and accepted. And even Jesus had those needs. And even we saw him fulfill those with the people in his life that he surrounded himself with. And that, those are good things. But again, the idolatry is when we're so focused on these people, so focused on these relationships, it's our, it's our number one goal. It's in our number one spot. This is calling the shots, not God. So you may be so focused on finding that that boyfriend or girlfriend or that sugar booger and that's in your number one spot or you're so focused on getting married or you're so focused on having the right marriage or you're constantly lamenting your singleness or maybe you're just going from friendship to friendship believing that the right one is gonna bring you peace and all of these are the same. All of these are preoccupied with relationships, treating them as the source of your self-worth, as the source of your identity, as the source of your joy. 
And that's idolatry. And this has been all of us at different points in our lives. We're all susceptible to this. Or maybe it's experiences. Maybe you've seen other people have experiences and you say, if I had that, if I could just experience that, oh man, that'd be it for me. I'd be so happy. That'd be so good. That'd be the answer to my prayers, right? If I could just be a mom, if I could just get this job or get into this school, or if they would just say they were sorry, or if I could just take this trip, or if I could be involved in that. And then what happens? You have the experience, and it's either just as good as advertised, or, uh, uh, but you know what? That experience fades, or, or maybe it's just as good as advertised, but there's some, there's some hidden costs there. There's some hidden difficulties. Being a parent, it's, it's just as great as advertised. But you know what people don't talk about at the baby showers? How expensive babies are. They don't talk about how everything nice you have in your home will now have Cheetos on it. Like inexplicably Cheetos. It doesn't matter. How do you get Cheetos on my soap? It doesn't matter. It's there, right? And so again, we pursue these these experiences and these desires of the eyes, these external cravings constantly try to lure us into putting our hope and trust there. Eve did it. Again, look at Eve. Back in, in chapter three, verse six of Genesis, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, it looked good. It was something desirable. And she knew what God had said about it, but she looked at it and it looked so good. It looked so desirable. She said, if I just get that, I'll be happy. If I just get that, I'll have what I need and what I want. And I do this all the time. I say, you know what, man, if I could just have this, if I could just experience this, then, oh man, I'd be so happy. This would be the absolute best. I know God, how can it get better? What more do I need? How foolish is that? And so we have the desires of the eyes, desires of the the flesh, and lastly, we have the pride of life. And this is just the the worship of ourselves. This is putting myself in that number one spot. This is being all about my pursuit of my happiness. The number one question in my brain is, how does this affect me? What do I get out of this? How do I feel about this? What do I want? And this is truly at the core of all these desires, isn't it? The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, what are they about? There, there, there's a lack of care for God and a lack of care for others. It's about what you want, right? And this couldn't be any more worldly. This couldn't be any more at the core of this world system we aren't to obey. I mean, think about the enemy, the, the, Satan. What caused him to fall from heaven according to the scriptures? What? He didn't want to serve God. He wanted to be God right? Pride was there. And Eve did the same thing. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, and when the woman saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. The verse before it, Satan's promise is, for God knows that when you eat of it, talking about the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. She didn't want to serve God. She wanted to be God. She wanted to call the shots. She wanted to know what he knows, right? And so there's pride there. And this is all of us. This is absolutely all of us where we fall for that, where it's it's all about me and it's about how I feel and it's what I get out of the deal and it's what she did or he did to me and it's, it's how they can make it right. It's me, 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 me. And these are massive. These are massive avenues. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, these are incredible. You know what I wish? I wish we had an example of someone who, who just, who overcame all of these. That would be great. You know, I was in the, the hospital uh, sitting in the waiting room with my family a couple days ago and 
Hey, we're sitting there talking. We're talking about having kids, and we're talking about what did you do when, like, you first had a kid. I, I told him that, like, like, through every child we've had, I've forgotten everything you're supposed to know with the other kids. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, oh, is, are they walking yet? And I'm like, I don't, are they supposed to be doing that right now? I don't know. They, they didn't come with a manual. And so, like, we were talking about, like, what did you do when you had your first child? Because my uncle literally said that, that he got home. He took his, his, his wife had the baby in Somerville. There was a problem with his daughter. So they took her and him, left the mom behind, left, uh, went to uh, Laboner. And when they got to Laboner, everything was fine. So they sent him home. And he said, I was at home with a baby without my wife and I didn't know what to do. So I got my mom and I went back up to the hospital and brought her back to my wife. Like here, I don't know what to do. And so we were joking about it. We were talking about it. I said, what did you do? Like when you were at home and that baby got that first like serious call, Parents, you know what I'm talking about. The serious cough, where you're like, uh-oh, that's, uh-oh, they got tuberculosis. Like, that's not normal. Something's wrong. They got the, eye, the black lung. What is going on? What did you do? And he's like, I called my mom. I called my mom. And I thought, like, what did I do? Like, like we live in the age of Google. I Google everything, right? Like, like, I call my mom, and if my mom's not available, I'm Googling that mess. Or if you talk to your mom and your mother-in-law, and you get conflicting reports, don't worry. We got Google. Like, so you just, we just, we just Google it, and then when you talk to me, you go, oh, yeah, what you said worked. So anyway, like, we just, we Google it. You know what? I wish I could just Google, how do I overcome? Give me an example of overcoming these three avenues. But we have one, and it's Jesus. In Hebrews 2, it says that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted so that he can help us when we're tempted. And you have to go, that means that every one of these avenues, the enemy used the same dumb strategy on Jesus. Where did he do it? Well, he did it in Matthew chapter four, the temptation of Jesus. If you wanna turn there, we're gonna, we're gonna fly through Matthew chapter four. If you wanna turn there, you can. In verse one, it says, Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So let's deal with this first temptation. He's there to be tempted by the devil. And this first temptation, the desires of the flesh. Look at verse two. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He had a natural internal craving. His stomach was like, dude, you haven't eaten in 40 days. What up? I'm hungry, right? So he's got this natural craving. Look at verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The temptation was, again, to meet his internal craving, which is not a bad thing, but to do it in a way that dishonors God, to do it in a way that disregards what God wants for him, right? But look at verse four. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's look at Jesus' response. First, he submitted his desires to the Lord. He said, Lord, what you want comes first. These internal cravings that I have that are, they may be natural, they may even be a good thing, but Lord, they're for you. I'm gonna do what you want me to do. The Lord Jesus submitted literally his stomach, his internal cravings of how he would feed himself. He said, God, I only wanna feed myself in a way that makes you happy. And then Jesus used the word against the enemy, which he did in all of these temptations. And, and when you look at the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it's the only offensive weapon we have against the enemy is the word of God. And it cuts through all the deceptions because it's true. It cuts through the enemy's deception to us and it cuts through our self-deception, right? And you know what? You won't have victory in these areas. Forget everything else we're going to talk about. You won't have victory in these areas if you don't study the word of God. If you aren't regularly reading the word of God, you won't have a transformed mind without the word of God and everything else we're talking about, it's not gonna help you. 
You have to be in the word of God. But what else can we do when we're battling the desires of the flesh? Let me, let me suggest this, fast. Jesus modeled it. He modeled it here. He did it for 40 days and 40 nights. And I would suggest that you fast from food because it's not only are you following the example of the Lord Jesus, that's always a good thing, but it's such a base, deep desire and, 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 and follows that biblical example. I mean, if, if you, you think about it, think about like if, when you're hungry, you notice it. There's no ignoring when you're hungry, right? You try to ignore it and then your stomach makes a right? And everyone else can't ignore it. There's no ignoring it. It's a serious need. And to, to how loving is that to say before the Lord, like, Lord, I want this, but I'm gonna put this aside just to illustrate the depth of my devotion to you and the depth of my desperation to have you. And so, Lord, I'm gonna put this aside and I'm gonna seek you in prayer and I'm gonna read your word. I just, I want to see you so bad that I'll give up the, the basis needs that I have. Now, some of you have medical reasons that you can't, fa- and that's fine. Then honor the Lord in another way. Again, give up something like that. So essential to say, Lord, I'm gonna spend time with you. How, how incredible is that? I'll give you a quick resource. I'm not gonna preach on fasting right now. A quick resource for you. A, a book by John Piper called A Hunger for God that, was, that revolutionized my life when it came to this idea of fasting. I didn't know what it was, and, and this book was incredibly helpful. Um, but, you know, one more thing about fasting. Uh, my, my kids, are, uh, they learn to swim, and we have a pool in our backyard, and so we fill it up with a hose, which means that the, the water uh, came straight from, I guess, the Antarctic. I don't know why that water is so cold, but it is so cold when we fill it up. And you know, it's funny, my, my daughter loves to swim. She always says, Daddy, I want to swim like a mermaid. I'm like, go, go for it. And so she gets to the, the thing and she puts her leg in and she goes, nope. And she pulls her leg out. And then, she, and then I'm like, baby, you got to just jump in. That's what you, I know. It's, I know it's cold, but you just got to jump in. That's the best way to do it. And so then she stands there and she just psychs herself up and she gets the rock going. You know what I mean? And she's just like, all right, here we go. Here we go. And then boom, she's in. I'll say the same thing about fasting. You, you might not have ever done it. The idea of, of missing a meal, the idea of, of putting lunch aside or putting breakfast aside or whatever, that might, dry, that, that might be so scary. That might be overwhelming. Just jump in. Just do it and, and watch the Lord meet you in a way you've never experienced. Like, tell me I'm wrong. Do that. Like, go after the Lord in that way. Just dive in and watch him meet you. Uh, look at the, look at the the next temptation, or, or not the next in that in that way, but the desires of the eyes. Let's look at the desires of the eyes. Verse eight. Skip down to verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So he sees desirable things, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. These are, these are incredibly desirable things. These are things that absolutely anybody would want. Jesus sees them, look at verse nine. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. So the temptation is to have the world. It's under the control of the devil and he's offering it to Jesus. And ultimately, of course, Jesus will take control from him. But this temptation is is save yourself the suffering, save yourself the death and all that. And and just, just worship me and you'll have what you see right now. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Again, look at Jesus' response. Jesus' eyes were more focused on the Father than they were on what the world had to offer. Although he's looking at the world, although he's looking at the kingdoms of the world, and he's looking at all these things that are desirable, his eyes are focused on the Father. And you say, how do you know he's more focused on the Father? Again, what was his answer? 
Jesus used the word against the enemy. His mind was occupied with the truth of God's word so that when the enemy whispered lies into his ears, the word of God fought them back. God, Jesus' minds were so preoccupied with God's word and the truth of God's word that it, it literally battled the lies of the enemy in that moment. When he saw those things, when his eyes saw what the world had to offer, his eyes filtered everything through what he knew was true from the word of God. So what else can we do as we battle the desires of the eyes? Well, the desires of the eyes mainly is about greed, isn't it? No matter if it's a, uh, uh, you want this relationship, this experience, this money, this resource, whatever, it's about greed. So how do we battle that? I'm going to say this, generosity. Again, this follows the example of Jesus who gave everything for us. We need to be generous with our time and with our resources, with our energy and our emotions, our friendship, our, our kind words, with, with everything, with, with just good deeds. We need to be generous people. May we be marked by that generosity. God dares us to be generous. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, he says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God says, if you are generous and you give much, you cannot give me. You will get much back in return. That's an incredible challenge challenge from God. So I want you to challenge yourself to be crazy generous. Don't be like the world. Don't love the world. Love the Lord Jesus. Be obedient to him. Follow his example and be crazy generous. And I don't know what that is for you. You do though. I imagine you do. Spend some time thinking about that. Lord, how can I be crazy generous? How can I step out in a way I haven't been generous before and see you do crazy, incredible things? Be generous. The last avenue the pride of life. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's the temptation here? Show off. Show, like You're in front of everybody. If you cast yourself off the temple, the angels show up and catch you. Everybody knows you are who you say you are. Everybody knows you are the son of God. You'll get all the credit. It'll show your power. It'll garner attention and praise, but it won't honor the father. He'll only honor himself. This was a temptation to pride. Verse seven, Jesus said to him, again is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus responds with the word to cut through his temptation. So what do we do to battle our pride? Prayer. Jesus modeled this. What was he doing for 40 days and 40 nights there in the desert? Praying. He wasn't playing Sudoku or Angry Birds. He was praying, right, before the Lord. And so stay humble before the Lord in prayer. Don't trust your strength. Constantly ask for the Lord's strength in your life. And stay before the Lord about all things. You know, I think there are things in my life that I say, this is a prayer-worthy thing. Like, this is something to take to the Lord, and this isn't. Like, you know what, this is a, like maybe in your work, this is a work thing. I just need to figure it out. I don't need to take it before the Lord. And this is a family thing. Okay, I'll take the family stuff before the Lord. This is serious enough to go before the Lord. This is not serious enough. Don't do that. Be humble before the Lord, right? Don't section off parts of your life. He is worthy to bring all of these things to. Stay thankful in everything. Keep asking for his wisdom in all areas of your life. Be dependent in prayer all day long. And let's look at how he closes First uh, John, this section in verse 17. He closes it with confidence and joy. Look at verse 17. The world's passing away 
along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So have confidence in knowing that this is a temporary fight. This fight we fight, these avenues that are constantly pulling us away from our joy, they're temporary, and they will fade away. Have confidence knowing this is a temporary fight. You're destined to win. And have joy knowing that after this fight, there's an eternal reward. I will watch all of these things that I have hated, that have pulled my attention away, that have stolen my joy, all of these things, I will watch them fade away as I stand with the Father and I'm rewarded with Him forever. Have joy and have confidence because we win. We win. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for for what you brought before us today. Lord, I I know that as I uh, dealt with this passage this week that there were things there that I didn't want to deal with in my own life. There's still things there that challenge me in a way. There are things that, that, Lord, I've believed would make me happy. There are things that I've chased after more than I've chased after you. I haven't submitted certain parts of my internal cravings to you. Like I thought, well, this is private, this is personal, it's just no one else else has to know. It doesn't matter to anybody, but it matters to you. You're my master. In and out, you're my master. So Lord, help me and help my brothers and sisters here to submit everything to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us this week to to be people of the word of God, to be committed to be reading and learning and memorizing and meditating on the word of God. And Lord, I, I, oh, it would be so awesome this week, Lord, if, if, if my brothers and sisters this week, if some of them would dive into fasting for the first time, that would be so incredible. And I imagine you have incredible blessings waiting for them as they pursue you in that new way. Maybe, maybe others, Lord, they, they, they're gonna, uh, their areas of their lives that, that they haven't submitted to you in prayer and they're gonna dive into that. Lord, thank you so much for that. But help us have the confidence and the joy to respond to you in the correct way after what we've heard here this morning. Lord, as we sing and we respond in song, be honored, be lifted up. Lord, give us the courage to respond the way we need to respond. Whether it's my brothers and sisters need to come and kneel before you at the steps or kneel at their seat or or pray together or, or just sing loud, Lord, may they respond well. If there are people in here, Lord, who don't know you, the Lord, their sin has separated them from you. They don't know if they were to die right now, they would be with you. And they need to be forgiven. Lord, give them the courage to respond. To say, to ask for your forgiveness. To ask you to come into their life. To surrender their life. To say, you are my master now. Give them the courage to step out and to come forward. To come find me. To confess this to me. So that we can pray together and they can experience the new life that you have for them. Lord, bless our responses as they bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.